Hi, everyone. Welcome to Frontier Faith, a podcast where it is okay not to know. We call it Frontier because we actually believe that we are on a frontier. A frontier is between the place that you've been and the place that you're going. And you might not know where you're going. And we believe that this is true for us and our faith. It's a scary place. It's a weird place. It's an unknown place. But we want to do this podcast to show and to demonstrate that we are with you. If you happen to be in the same place as we are, if you happen to find yourself on the frontier. My name is Nathan Whitaker. My name is Ryan Harris. And today we continue our conversation on that fun topic, sin. Yay. Yay. All right. So last time we talked about our upbringing. We talked about our heritage and our inherited meanings of what sin is. And today we're going to show the cracks of what that is. And we're going to share our experiences of why we have uh, found that description to be problematic. And the next time we're going to talk about where we might be able to go with sin and uh, maybe even redeem it, as weird as that sounds. That's uh, that's quite the, <laughs> sorry, redeem sin. Yes, I like it. <laughs> so we're going to begin by uh, just asking the question uh, of Ryan, as we usually do. Last time we talked about quite a bit that we are sinners. Uh, we talked about the different ways in which we found sin. Uh, mine was more in line with corruption, whereas Ryan's was more in terms of action and fear. Nevertheless, we both were taught that we are, at the core, sinners. It's almost like it's a state of being, isn't it, Ryan? I think I would take out the almost like. I mean, it. it I the way the understanding I took away from it was it was my state of being was sin. Yeah, we, we in the Lutheran Church, we talk about something called always sinner and sane at the same time. And that's a huge thing, so we don't need to go into it. But we actually had it codified in theology that you are, at the same time, always a sinner and a saint. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's just a lot there. So what did that do to you as you lived in that reality that was taught to you? Well, I mean, I think the the first or maybe one of the biggest things it did was that I lived in a constant state of fear. I was afraid all the time. Um, I mean, I will say that part of my part of that's my personality and part of that's there's um, learned behavior and all of that. But this idea that I was like, I was never sure that I was actually okay with God or right with God to use a phrase that I heard, right? I was always afraid that, well, I know Jesus forgives me, but I did this, you know, today. And so I better say, I'm sorry and repent and mean it because if the rapture happens beforehand, I'm screwed <laughs> eternally. Right. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> because I could just never be sure. And then there was, I'm not saying it was all the time every day, but that the specter of possible blasphemy of the Holy Spirit was in there sometimes, you know. I did believe that God forgive, forgave me when I repented, but because it was such a um, world that was dependent upon what I did or didn't do, and because so many things seemed to be sinful, it felt like I was always sinning. Like there was not a day that went by, there was not even probably an hour that went by where I didn't do something sinful. 
And so I was afraid. I mean, I was afraid of God. I was afraid that my parents or my friends would find out these horrible sins that I had done. 99.8% of which weren't very horrible, by the way. Um, Like, I mean, even as a young kid, like in first and second grade, I remember being um, racked with guilt and fear. And I would like confess things like horrible sins to my parents. And it was something like I you know, didn't wash my hands when I should have earlier. And I was convinced I was like on the way to hell because of it, yeah. you know, and I'd be Sounds crying. Like Martin Luther. And, yeah. Like, I mean, it was, it was, it was really, <laughs> it was really scary, you know, um, from a very young age. And I would say that things have gotten better now, but honestly, I wouldn't say even now it's totally gone. You know, just this So the one of the biggest things it did for me was this all pervasive, uh, always uh, ever present um, fear that just became such a central part of my life. And I imagine that has to be we, we talked last time. It has to be exhausting living in such fear. But I also think or at least I can imagine that that's got to take a toll on you. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting as I think about it now, and we didn't bring this up last time, but I think, you know, partly I was really involved in the church and did a lot of things because my parents were the pastors and because I, you know, I liked doing some of that stuff. But I think there was, even though I don't know that I would have been able to say it this way or realize it at the time. I think that there was an element of, well, maybe I can counter away some of this terrible stuff, right? Like maybe I can, which by the way, doctrinally speaking, the answer to that would be no, it doesn't work that way. (laughs) But like, (laughs) there's this idea that like, maybe, you know, I can do these good things so that maybe God will like me, but also partly to like, I don't know, like throw the other people in my life off the scent or something like, you yeah. know, like if if they see me as doing all these things and praying a lot and playing the piano and, and teaching Sunday school and whatever, then they're not going to know how terrible and horrible of a sinner I am. You know? uh, I don't know. Yeah. Was was that like were those things part of your like, did it do that kind of thing to you, too? Or was it different for you? It was a little different for me. I think it was uh, I still had this compulsion uh, to do the quote unquote good things, or at least, you know, the phrase be a good Lutheran. I'm sure every tradition has that. Something um, like that. Yeah. We wanted to be a good Lutheran, a good Christian. So the compulsion to always go to church, to always do this, that, or the other. Uh, I was never involved with all that stuff because it was my dad's church. Uh, and I just didn't want to be a part of my dad's church. <laughs> a little bit of a difference between you and I. Right. Uh, in terms of our uh, interaction there. Um, but, you know, I did have like, so being a sinner meant that I was never good enough. Never. Uh, that I could never measure up. And in fact, whenever that was brought up theologically, whether that was in youth group or in conversation, maybe even with my dad, I don't remember anything specifically, but it was always answered back. That's the point. You are not good enough. Hmm. And I think what I started to realize is that, you know, in this time, looking back, I now think, well, all those people missed the point. The point wasn't that he was thinking theologically, I'm not enough. He was thinking that he's not valuable, that he's not worthwhile. Hmm. 
Mm. And, you know, I would want to go back in time and tell myself uh, these people are well-meaning. They're just being stupid. (laughs) Well, Uh, and probably trying to deal with their own fears and inadequacies resulting from this belief, too. You know, right. Um, If they are inspiring other people to accept it and, you know, all that kind of stuff, it might be a way that helped deal with their own anxiety. Well, and that's the thing with anxiety, right? It's always shared. It's always tried to be mitigated. And, you know, they meant well because they were trying to point me back to Jesus, which is what I would always hope for. Uh, I hope I do it without uh, bringing people down in the process. But for me, it started to just have this deep sense of shame, the shame that I'm not good enough no matter what I do. So... I'm kind of stuck in this life of just doing things that I know God likes in order for me to combat that shame as much as possible. Uh, And so I liked going to church only because it was at church, depending on, you know, what I did the night before or the morning of, uh, I would always feel in church that at least there I wasn't being judged totally by God. Now, I was being judged by the pastor or whatever, the the theology that's going on at the time, certainly, and we've talked about that. But at least in the action of going to church, I was doing something to combat this reality that I was feeling, uh, that, uh, or at least the perception that I was feeling, that I was never good enough, that it was a shameful thing to be a human being. So your this idea that, you know, sin is like your state of being, did that kind of translate into, therefore, like, um, my very person is shameful? Yeah. Yeah. If I'm always a sinner, that you know, we would want to, in Lutheran churches, highlight both of them. You're both sinner and saint. But, you know, you can only imagine what's the one that's going to have the gravitational pull. Right, sure. Uh, it's going to be the sinner. There's there's no way around that because especially when you're taught for so long that you're awful and you're whatever, always going to be a sinner, original sin's always something that you have. There's always going to be this pull towards reminding you. Now now, remember, even the good things you do, they are full of sin because you are a as our confession says, a poor, miserable or poor, wretched sinner. You know, I think it's interesting that you use the word shame because, um, you know, as a kid, I very much knew I was afraid. I mean, it's hard not to know you feel afraid, right? (laughs) If you feel afraid, your body does has responses to try and help you, you know, right? which don't usually help. But anyway, um, (laughs) I think what I did not know until much later and even within the last five or six years is that it wasn't just that I was afraid. It was that the fear that I had, yes, I mean, I was afraid of going to hell and stuff, but I think it was the fear was more a symptom of, I felt that kind of shame as well. Like shame Mm -hmm. about who I was as a person. Like Ryan was, um, Ryan deserved to be, uh, Ryan deserved to go to hell. Ryan deserved to miss the rapture. Ryan deserved to be spewed out of God's mouth, right? Because Ryan did these things all the time, these horrible, wretched, terrible things. Um, And it made, I think what it did was it made me ashamed of myself 
and not, it'd be one thing if I said it made me ashamed of what I did. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Which I suppose that was, yeah. And I suppose that was in there certainly, but because I had this understanding that um, I was this in this constant state of sin, that I was a sinful being, that my my whole life and soul were wrapped up in sin, I think what that did was it made me believe that there, not just that there was no hope for me, but that like there shouldn't be, you know, like like I this of course this is what the end result will be because i'm so disgusting broken huh. um sinful you know whatever it is that it's really what i deserve because i mean i remember i t- i said in the last one i was told that like um jesus's death on the cross was what i deserved right yeah right. my horrible things had done that to him yeah. um and because of that i felt like not just worthless. I felt like, um, I don't even know the best way to describe it other than I felt like, um, I don't know. I'm really struggling for the right word, but like, um, it's not that it's like, I I desperately wanted to believe God loved me and that God forgave, forgave me and that things would be okay. But Mm -hmm. I think I had this, um, very deep down understanding that he couldn't, he wouldn't because, like, because I was just that terrible, you know, Yeah, that wretched to borrow a word from my Lutheran friends. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. well, and speaking of your Lutheran friends, we have a hymn that we've talked about, which is uh, chief of sinners, though I be. And it, it references Paul where he says, you know, I'm the I'm the chief sinner among them all. And usually that's which is I mean, funny, Paul uses that because he was talking about himself. Right. And he was doing that to say, this is how powerful the gospel is. It can right. even forgive me and love me because, you know, let's be real. All Most of us, probably everybody ever listening to this podcast, even if we explode and there's wonderful growth and all that, uh, none of us have done anything close to what Paul's done. Yeah, right? I don't know about you, but I've never ravaged the church. Yeah, right. Um, going on a state-sanctioned killing spree or right. church-sanctioned... Holding uh, people's clothes while someone gets stoned for their faith in Jesus. Yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, it's meant to be encouraging, and yet... Even the hymn's supposed to be encouraging, but yet the the focus of the song, the focus of the theology is to remind you that you are a sinner. And in fact, you may be the chief sinner, which is just remarkable, right? So I'm curious. Hitler had nothing on you, (laughs) right? I mean, it's like, I'm making a joke, but at the same time, it's like, are we thinking about what we're saying here? Right. Yeah. You know, Um, or singing. And that was, we didn't have that song, but I mean, we had similar things. Oh, it's much too moody for you. Well, I'm going to guess it was not a quick, peppy, happy sounding (laughs) song, right? It it was probably in a minor key and very dreary and slow and played on an organ, I'm sure. Oh, but it's a favorite. I tell you, man, every single Lent, people are like, oh, you got to play Chief of Sinners. What? <laughs> I'm going to send you guys a psychiatrist or two <laughs> after so they're done I, with me. Anyway, I said that when I brought this example, like this feeling that I had around Chief of Sinners and so forth, 
you know, people would tell me that's the point when you brought up your problems with it. What did or did you? No, I did not tell anybody that I felt that okay. way because I, I did feel that way about myself, but I think I was so ashamed and so afraid of that shame that I don't, I, I could not have said that to anybody, even if I'd been brave enough to do it, you know? Well, you're a smart guy. If you were to do that, um, maybe you did this when you were younger. Do you know what they would say if you brought up those concerns? Like, um, God couldn't possibly forgive me because I'm yeah. that wretched, you mean? Right. Um, yeah, I think I know what they would say. They would say, because I mean, I think I probably hinted at this from time to time, at least to my parents or somebody, you know, never in that stark way or, or you know, those words. But and, and they would say something like, well, you know, they'd quote Romans eight about nothing can ever separate you from the love of Christ, you know, not angels, not demons, not height nor depth and that whole huh. list of things. Right. Or yeah. they tell me that. um also in Romans 8, they do the, well, there's no condemnation and what you're feeling is condemnation and that's not from God, right? Okay. So I mean, like, there's all these answers that are great. Yeah, <laughs> gospel did, answers, good ones. Right. Well, and I know you guys, of course, I did the Romans just for you. Um, <laughs> no, but uh, like, it's, it's, I think it's another example of what I talked about last time of like the, the theology and the lived theology in my experience often didn't match up because those are all good answers and they're true. I think like they're correct. And yet the messages I heard, the sermons I heard, the way I lived and everybody else lived didn't, as far as I could tell, didn't seem to bear it out that people really believed it. Um, So like, I, I think that's, they would have said something that would have been a good answer in a sense, but it felt like it was, not often that I saw someone live in a way where they really believed it. Now that could have been my own projection, right? I'm not trying to cast too wide of a net here or anything, but I think the, the way the system was set up, I had trouble actually believing those good answers because sometimes the same people, I'm not talking about my parents here necessarily, but sometimes the same people who told me them would uh, exhibit some of the same concerns I had just in yeah. different ways, you know, that's really interesting. Cause like, so for me, the way I hear both of our differences, uh, different ways of responding to that is for me, people in my circles were more interested in holding up theology than declaring the gospel. Hmm. So they would say, that's the point you are worthless and then give the gospel. Instead of saying something like uh, something that I would think would be emotionally intelligent and say, Nate, I can see that you're really struggling with that. I want you to know that God loves you no matter what. I yeah. want you to know that he thinks you're worthwhile and, and you know, on and on and on. And then point to the cross and say, right. that's why I can say this stuff. Plus, I know you. You're a good guy. I like you and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, instead, it's theology than yours and i think my little example how somebody can emotionally relate probably struck true to you of how the gospel could have been spoken to you well yeah or i think honestly i think the gospel was often spoken well (laughs) okay And, and i'm not saying nobody lived it because that's not fair right especially since i only know my own experience here 
Uh-huh. But the same people who would give me those good answers about how nothing in all of creation could ever separate me from Christ's love would then warn me not to sin too much because I'd find myself uh, too far away from God. Yeah. Not in the same sentence, but I mean, like... Same breath. I don't know how to reconcile those two, you know? Because yeah. um, it sure sounds like I can separate myself from the love of God, if nothing else. Maybe yeah. demons can and angels can't and mountains can't, but well, Ryan can. But I can. <laughs> And can do so even if I don't, maybe even if I don't mean to, yeah. you know? So I just, I could, I, again, I couldn't have said any of that then, but right. whether I had the right. vocabulary for it or not, inside my brain, my heart, I could not reconcile those two things. So that's kind of how both you and I felt about this idea of sin, this inherited understanding of sin. And you kind of hinted at it already, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. When did you start to see cracks in this way of thinking? Was it because you weren't satisfied uh, thinking about yourself that way anymore? That you weren't shameful in who you were anymore? What was it that brought you through that to a place where you could start questioning what sin was? Well, I would love to say that I woke up one morning and said, you know what? this is bullshit. I'm good. And God loves me. Um, it very much was not that. And honestly, again, I've come a long way, but I still wrestle with shame and its consequences and shame about who I am as a person, you know, because of this kind of stuff. Um, what I think, what I think was instrumental in really switching that around for me was, um, was really having to, look around at my life and the lives of other people. And what I saw, again, not for everybody, but especially in myself and some people I was very close to, like good friends and such, and maybe even some family members, what I saw were people who were constantly afraid and ashamed. And that did not seem to be life-giving. And I was under the assumption that the gospel was supposed to bring life, right? If sin yep. brought death, then then faith in Jesus was supposed to be the opposite, was supposed to bring right. life. And I, you know, the Bible doesn't tell us we'll necessarily be happy our whole lives, but we are supposed to have joy, right? Yeah. Which is a different thing. And when I looked at, certainly in my own life, I won't speak for others, but for my own life, I don't think I... I don't know. If, I think I still would struggle to define what joy is actually like to you. You know, it's getting better. But I'm just saying, like, what I what I did was as I started to look at my life and the lives of others, I did not see what I was told the gospel should do. And mm-hmm. I don't even mean that in an accusatory, condemning way. I'm not saying these people were all hypocrites. That's not what I mean. What I'm saying is I looked at my heart and, and I looked at the people around me and I saw people that were terrified and ashamed. Yeah. And I just couldn't, I, I still can't, I, I couldn't line that up with what I believe Jesus I mean, the story of what Jesus does for people over and over again, every time Jesus interacts with someone who isn't a Pharisee, (laughs) like it always turns out good for them. You know, he goes to people who don't deserve it, uh, tax collectors, sinners, Gentiles. He lifts up women who had no place in the society. He heals lepers. He does all this stuff. And it's always better for them because Jesus brings life. But what I saw was not that. And through some different ways and lots of very 
interesting things God has been working on in my life, showing me that that's not, that's not who God is, right? That that is not, that mm-hmm. shame and fear are not supposed to be yeah. the mode of being for a Christian, for anybody, but especially for someone who who theoretically has a relationship with Jesus, right? So I think I think that's what kind of made me start to be like and continue to be like, wait a minute, something is um, really not right here. It was huh. just I could not square. It's, I've said this a lot. I guess it's a theme for this topic because I just couldn't reconcile these seemingly very disparate things that were presented or lived in such a way that they were the same. Yeah. It, what pops into my mind as you're talking is Jesus and John... I can't quote scripture, but it's definitely in John, um, where he says, I came that you would have life and life to the fullest. Mm -hmm. And abundantly, yeah. Abundant life, yeah, abundant life. And usually what we do, at least the way I've heard that translated in theology, not translated into English, but into theology, is that you would have life, and what that means is eternal life. But I think that's stupid. Because what he's actually saying is, I'll give you life, which means eternal life, but also that you'll have abundant life now. Right. Now. And what I hear you saying is that you didn't see that last part. You didn't see the abundant life. Yeah. And and I can't, like I said, I'm not trying to blame everybody else for that, for all of it, because some of that was my own issues. But I also don't want to let everybody else off the hook because... That's not the message. Like, even when I heard that message, because I probably heard a sermon saying just what you said, (laughs) you know, probably more than once. But I didn't I don't remember seeing a lot of it again, not as an accusation of hypocrisy, but just as a reality of um, of what that understanding of sin, I think, maybe creates in people. Yeah. Well, I think like out of all the topics that we've talked about so far. Um, I don't know, maybe salvation is here too, but this is easily the one that is more about theology than about people's beliefs and people's behaviors, because what I hear, at least the way I hear you talking is more, how does this system of sin, this understanding of sin hurt people? Yeah. Um, yeah. And how it can hurt people, and the, the way to rephrase what you said, as unfair as that is, is to say that one of the ways it hurts people is it doesn't allow them to see or even to live that abundant life. Well, yeah. And I mean, if, you know, if we are made in God's image, so if we are made to be like God, if we have some part of God's nature or that that whole thing runs into problems linguistically about how to describe it. But there is something of God yeah. that we have, right? His Human breath, beings, at least, right? Like God Genesis. breathed right into us. And we have the Holy Spirit of, you know, living in us right now. And yet, <laughs> at the same time, we're like dangling over hell and that's what we deserve, <laughs> yeah. you know? And yet we're, I mean, I spent the last episode comparing myself to um, chronic liver disease, right? Uh (laughs) Because that's how I saw myself. And yeah, that does not, that doesn't line up. That doesn't, it doesn't, it's not that it just doesn't line up, but it is, um, you know, they told me that sin was supposed to lead to death and maybe it does, but this understanding of sin was sure pointing me in that direction, you know? 
Yeah. It was certainly not life-giving. I would put it that way for sure. Interesting. Yeah. What, um, so I mean, like what was, what was an experience that made you kind of, kind of re-examine some of, or ask some difficult questions about this stuff? Yeah, actually it was kind of interesting because I didn't think this would be the case, but as I've been thinking about it, it actually happened well before my entrance into seminary and, uh, I don't think I've mentioned this on the podcast, but the reason I went to seminary was I did say I didn't want to be a pastor. I went into seminary in order to learn the information I needed to in order to do a doctorate well there. So the thing that kind of set me on the course that I'm on now is that I went to seminary in order to convince Christians that they were really bad at reading culture, that they were really bad at looking at what people were writing and my, my, well, specifically writing, but you know, music, movies, whatever, everything like that. And my specific example, even though I wasn't really big into it was Harry Potter because in Harry Potter, there was a lot of, uh, magic. Yes. But there was also quite a bit of Christian imagery, if not full on Christian narrative themes. And, I started to wonder, why are we so concerned about that? And then I started to see it in things that I was interested in. I was interested in South Park, and I noticed, hey, they're making some really good theological and social points. You know, I'm a millennial, so I grew up with that. And yet people were so concerned about South Park because it said shit and it had shit jokes. And I just wanted to to highlight that Maybe there's something deeper going on in these things than we give them credit for. And what I started to develop in my understanding, that's just where I noticed what was happening. Uh, To put language to what I noticed to answer the question is I started to see that maybe, just maybe, what we do isn't completely corrupted. That maybe... A, a shit word or an ass word doesn't destroy the entirety of a South Park episode or the good of that argument. Maybe a little bit of magic doesn't destroy Harry Potter and what's going on there. Maybe there's still beauty. Maybe there's still even truth there. I was thinking that way back then. And yeah, no, I just, I gravitated towards books. Like there's a huge, uh, uh, movement of you know the gospel in the simpsons the gospel in harry potter the gospel and i started to really resonate with that and started to see that um those books even weren't going far enough because they were saying all this stuff is terrible but jesus can redeem it instead of what i was starting yeah. to see and is go ahead these things are good in and of themselves and that started me down that path yeah, I was I was just going to say as a minor side note too, um like everything like that, none of those standards were ever f- worked absolutely, right? Like Harry Potter was evil because it had magic and witches, but Narnia was okay because it had magic uh, and witches, yeah. right? right? Um or uh, whatever it was, right? Like at some point, like it's just impossible to be consistent on that kind of stuff. Right. With whatever you make ironclad line in the sand kind of things about but because it happened so frequently about things that 
didn't seem to be so bad. It just really complicated all that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And I, of course, saw that hypocrisy like you did. And I saw that, too. But I think I saw more than that. I think what the big thing for me was I started to see that maybe and I started with a maybe now I'm certain, but maybe maybe God doesn't see all of these things as corrupt. Maybe he sees me not as corrupt or at least completely so. Well, you'd you'd have to you'd have to wonder, and I'm just thinking off the top of my head here of like if we really were like this disgusting, horrible, uh, sick, like of ourselves, right? If that's how God saw us, why did God bother with us, right? Like, yeah. I'm not saying that love is always is something that we would you deserve necessarily, but I'm just saying like, I just don't. It just doesn't. It doesn't make any sense of like why, or that that couldn't have been. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I have a thought. No, there, this is this is what I would say. And I actually asked this question to pastors and never got a good answer. Why doesn't God just end it all? Why doesn't he, if, if he's waiting for perfection in this narrative of sin, he's waiting for completely cleansing everything. <laughs> Pardon that phrase. Mm. Uh, if he's waiting for that, then why not just end it? I mean, he has the power to even do it so that everyone who would be born could be born at the same time or whatever, you know, stupid, just hypothetical stuff. He can make them exist in heaven if he wanted to. So why continue this? Right. That's if, how I grappled with that question. If Jesus's death on the cross really did pay the penalty for everybody, <laughs> what are you waiting for, God? You know, like, yeah. I mean, I know there are answers that could be given to it, but generally, generally, it was something along the lines of, well, God's ways are not our ways and God's ways are higher than our ways. And <laughs> yeah. it's like, shut up, just just shut up. Just say you don't. Well, know. The, <laughs> yeah. And the problem is really when that's coupled with. Uh, a sin shame dynamic that becomes like we heard a lot in the early 2000s we heard a lot about like child abuse divine child abuse we saw Mm. stuff like why is god doing this horrible thing of continuing such a terrible existence if the goal is that we all die and go to heaven if and if god is powerful enough to change reality right um yeah yeah like what what why what's going on here you know um yeah right so for me it was like i just i started to see god differently i started i funny enough as i just said i started with seeing culture differently uh than my inheritance. It's interesting. Um, yeah. But then it started to make me think, okay, well, if that's true for this, or at least it's true for me, can it be true for me that I'm not entirely, entirely corrupted? Hmm. Uh, and then of course, now I'm in a place where, uh, I don't really quite battle it as much as you do in terms of that inherited meaning. Right. Um, I've kind of moved into a place where, 
I'm asking, what does it mean that I'm not entirely or that I'm not corrupted? I kind of right. go there, but that's that's for next time. Yeah, I mean, I think I've I've gotten a lot better, partly through years of therapy and medication for anxiety, and um, honestly, God's work of healing in my life, and you know that's uh-huh. ongoing, but um, it is still very much a a problem for me, and part of the reason why I think we're doing this podcast is so we want to try and figure out, so what do we do with these beliefs? Like throwing them out the window doesn't necessarily help solve any problems, right? Just like, I mean, we could do that with anything. And I, and if you've done that, then okay, that's fine. But like, I just, I'm really trying to look through all like, we're trying to look through our experiences as well as what God is doing and has done and see like, what is God saying to us even so? Like, what is God saying to us now um, in spite of anything we've been told or taught by people? Like, we just really want to try That's why we look at the assumptions and that's why we pull at some of the threads is because we're trying to see, okay, but what what was in whatever we're talking about? What was in, in this case, this I, this understanding of sin that 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 actually was godly that god was trying to to show us you know mm-hmm. um and i guess that's probably where we're going next although spoiler i don't think we got it figured out yet <laughs> well i think it's really important to kind of end there for this episode because we are trying very hard not to be the toddler that knocks over everybody's blocks we're trying very hard not to be the guy or person to dismiss all of our heritage and say well those those are a bunch of stupid ideas by a bunch of stupid people anyone who still believes it are are really idiotic instead what we're doing is we have grown i think the one thing that we have really grown comfortable with out of all the things we're not comfortable with ryan i think the one thing we're most comfortable with is at least asking questions around these things and say, okay, but what if, or, but why, or, but is that helpful? Hmm. Asking those questions is really, I think the heart of this frontier faith project. It is saying we don't want to, and I really like that you said that. We don't want to walk away from our heritage and say it's all a bunch of foolishness. Because it isn't. Because it isn't. There, There's a lot of good in both of our heritages. What we do want to do is we want to find a more robust faith than the interpretation we receive. Yeah, we want to... Um really look at what we're trying to do also is we're really looking at like, not just what did we believe and what were we taught and what did we understand, but what did those beliefs, that theology, that doctrine, whatever it is, that concept, what was the effect of that in life? Like how did that affect either us as people or what we saw in other people's lives? Because that's kind of one of the main things we're doing here, too, is like it's not enough to just think something or just say, this is what I believe, um, or even just to believe it. Like, what does that actually mean in a practical sense? Because like I said, I think theology, doctrine, the gospel, whatever it is, I think it can be life giving. But it also when I don't want to say when not done correctly, but it can also given the way that people have done some of these things 
it can have not so great effects too. And I think it's easy to miss those because we're afraid to ask questions about things that we're told or we believe are so central to our faith. And I guess I would just say that I hear you because it's hard (laughs) and, and, you know, these kind of, this kind of stuff is hard to do, but at the same time, it's not just, I, I'm not a prophet. I don't want to speak on God's behalf here, but I'm going to sort of anyway, and just say that like, it's not just Nate and I saying it's okay for you to ask these questions. I really do believe God's okay with it too. Yeah. You know, I do too. read any of the prophets and tell me which one doesn't ask these kinds of questions. Any one of them. I mean, even Jesus in the garden was saying, Hey, could we do this some other way? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Like I just, whatever else, I, I just, I hope that comes across of like, it's okay. You know? And I think if you're anything like what we've been describing, you've not been sure that it's really okay. You've been afraid. You've been told it's not okay, whatever, but it's okay. God's not afraid of any of this promise. Yeah. If I could like punctuate that, not to add, but to punctuate that, Lamentations being in our Bible yeah. makes that true. Yeah. That's the period. Uh, if if we could have an entire book where God does not speak and actually looks like a monster in our scriptures, then he can probably handle anything we've got for him. And it means these kind of questions are not new to our time and space. Right. <laughs> you know, these questions have been around since the beginning. And maybe instead of being afraid, oh gosh, should we be doing this? It's like, maybe we should be asking, why haven't we been doing this? Yeah. You know, remind me of that next time I'm having an anxiety attack about going to hell or whatever. Okay. <laughs> but somebody will have to eventually mark all the times where you say, remind me because yeah. it's come up a few times. And don't remind me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, maybe we need to remember that this is what makes us human. And what makes us authentic in our relationship with God. And so I think he has not only infinite patience, because that kind of sounds pedantic, but he is infinitely humble. And I love that about Jesus. He's infinitely humble to walk alongside us, to take those thoughts, those feelings that we have that he is, in fact, a monster or that theology is, in fact, wrong or whatever it is. And just walk with us as we have those and still guide us. And i that's the kind of love that I think is sorely missed in this expression of sin. Where to just tie it in, even though we weren't tr- trying to do it, we just kind of stumbled into this conversation. The way we inherited sin doesn't allow for this kind of conversation. Right or any of the ones that we have, because instantly there's a discomfort that then gets labeled as sinful. Maybe not instantly, maybe just depending on what gets said or what happens as a result of the conversation. But it is very much, at the very least, unsafe to have these kinds of conversation under that paradigm. Yeah, And that's why next time... We want to talk about, okay, what's a different kind of paradigm? What's a different way that we can think about this? And I've thought about this probably a little bit more than Ryan. That's not usually the case, but I've thought about this a little bit more than Ryan, and I think we have at least some idea of what we could do 
and how we can engage around this. Ooh, it's a hook for the next episode. Now Ooh, you have to I've come never listen done to that it. Before. Yeah, <laughs> we're good at this. Look at us being experts. It's good. <laughs> uh, yeah. So thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for going with us as we talk through this stuff, and and we do hope it's it's helpful somehow for you. And you know, if you think of other things or other ways it could be helpful, or you would like to give us some feedback or topics you'd like us to discuss at some point, uh, send us an email at uh, frontierfaithpodcast at gmail and uh, we'll give those a look and see see where it leads us. And uh, we'd love to hear from you.